This is episode 86 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. I'm Bryn Jackson. This episode, we hung out with Susan Lin. She's a designer at Treehouse. She also paints. She also codes. She does all sorts of stuff, has fantastic, fantastic work of a huge variety of styles. We're just so stoked to talk to her. We hope you enjoy listening to it. If you do and you want more podcasts to listen to, go to spec.fm. The Spec Network now has five podcasts in the lineup. We are working on adding more, all for designers and developers to help you level up. Things like Developer T, Does Not Compute, Vicarious, and of course, Immutable, also by Bryn. So go to spec.fm if you need more podcasts. Otherwise, hit us up on Twitter. We're at designdetailsfm and check us out on our Slack team at spec.fm slash Slack. Before we get into the show with Susan, we wanted to thank our two sponsors that made this episode possible. Back again is Icon Finder, the largest source of icons on the web. They have over 700,000 icons in their library, all different styles, shapes, colors, every file format you can imagine. So they work in any tool you're using, whether that's Illustrator, Sketch, Photoshop, or even straight on the web with SVGs. It's an amazing library, well curated with over 13,000 icon sets. So if you're working on a product, you can have a cohesive unified icon set across your entire product without having to do a ton of design work yourself. They have a service called Icon Finder Pro. It's a monthly subscription service that gets you access to all 700,000 icons in their library, licensed for commercial projects. So if you're a freelancer, these are good for you to use. And one of our favorite things is that 70% of that money that you're paying for this monthly subscription goes straight back to the original designers themselves. So not only are you getting access to amazing icons, but you're also supporting the design community by using Icon Finder Pro. And as an extra bonus, if you use the promo code Design Details, that tells them that we sent you and we'll get you 50% off your first month. So go check them out. Go to iconfinder.com, sign up for Icon Finder Pro, and use the promo code Design Details. Thanks again to Icon Finder. Our second sponsor, as always, is Dropbox. Dropbox is the simplest way to work the way you want. They handle all of the file management and syncing for all of your working projects, all of your life projects, whatever, whether you're sketching, coding, prototyping, really whatever kind of file you want to put in there, Dropbox will be with you throughout the entire process. It handles everything for you and it works with any kind of file. So you're free to choose the tools you need for every project, whatever it is you're doing. And when you're ready for feedback or having a conversation or sharing, whatever, you can send large files to anyone really fast. You just upload them to Dropbox, which it can do in the background, and then you send out a link. Then people can view the file live in the browser. They don't have to download it, which can take forever. They just get a, a nice little preview and they have a commenting feature that lets people post their thoughts right in line. That way, conversations can happen right alongside the work itself. Uh, Dropbox gives you the freedom to work on anything from anywhere with anyone you choose, and you can get started at Dropbox.com. Thank you once again to Dropbox for sponsoring the show. With that, let's get into episode 86 with Susan Lin. Hi, I'm Susan Lin, and I am an artist and designer. Uh, I work as a product designer at Treehouse currently, but I also do watercolor painting amongst a bunch of different other creative mediums. And in the past, I've made indie games and I've done needle felting and pretty much every 2D creative medium you can think of, I probably dabbled in it. What about 3D creative mediums? It's kind of funny because I'm actually pretty bad at 3D mediums. I tried taking a Maya course in college and I didn't do very well in it. So for some reason, I just can't think spatially in the X or Z axis. Interesting. Okay, cool. What are you working on at Treehouse? Um, so we are currently, or my team is currently focused on a bunch of revenue projects. So right now we're revamping our organization's offering, so our B2B offering. And all the designers do a little bit of coding and illustration. So we all chip in and make landing pages and course badges and chip away at our style guide. Nice. And uh, Matt Spiel runs that team? Uh, yeah, Matt Spiel is one of the uh, managers and the okay. other manager is Chris Michelle. Okay. Sweet. How long have you been at Treehouse? Uh, not so long. I've joined in July of this year. So it's been a few months. What did you do before that? Uh, before that, I was at Open Table, and before that, I was freelancing for about a year, and previously at Trulia. Okay, sweet. So, I'm always interested to hear uh, remote working perspectives from people because Treehouse is a remote company, right? Yes. But you choose to work in San Francisco. Yes. So, how did that happen? Um, Portland's so, got to be cheaper, right? Yeah, it's definitely a lot cheaper. <laughs> I'm very tempted sometimes, I think, maybe on a quarterly basis to move there. Oh, God. It's going to happen. <laughs> I feel like it will eventually, but... Don't do it. San Francisco is better. 
I do like it here. All my friends are still here, and I feel like there are a ton of opportunities. Really, I'm happy with my job, so not job opportunities to say, but just meeting people. The density here is something that you can't really find anywhere else. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I wanted to work remotely because I found that my work style is very, I guess, introspective in a way. I find it very distracting to be in an office,、mm. and that sudden, hey, do you have a second? A five-minute chat really throws me off. It takes me about an hour to ramp back in, which is pretty, I think, on the extreme side. So I've really enjoyed having my own office and sort of having interruptions that are a little more planned. Since a chat interruption isn't as bad for me, I really do feel like I get a lot more done. Even so, Treehouse is only a four-day work week as well as remote. Oh yeah, yeah. forgot about that. That's pretty unique. How do you feel about that? Like, is that just a is it a clear win, or do you sometimes do you break that? So I tend to be pretty, I guess, efficient when I'm left alone. So I feel like I've actually gotten more done in the four days、uh, working remotely versus five days in the office in the past. But I know sometimes when there's a deadline or when push comes to shove, you do need to break that. So it's about finding that balance. Since you know, if there's no Company to have the four-day work week, then you know that's not good either. And with working at home, I find that a lot of people have a hard time separating like life from work. Is that something you struggle with, or does that come pretty naturally? Um, I don't struggle with that as much personally. I know it's not for everyone. I guess I have a lot of side projects, so when I work from home, I actually really like that because I just sort of roll into my side projects at night after doing my normal work. And I find that's a really good cadence for me.、Mm-hmm. I tend to do the same. Like my my side projects force me to like stop working and just do something that I like really want to do. Like this, for example. Like I came from work straight to here, or I'll finish up a job and start working on a website or a new like app or whatever, just for the hell of it. And it kind of like refreshes me for the next day. Yeah, I kind of almost think of it as. Have fun procrastination in a way because at some point I just don't want to actually work on work anymore, and that tends to be around the time when the day ends for work anyway. So it works out really well for me. I feel like it's like a grown-up recess, <laughs> working on side projects. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Because I mean, it's like recess was like gym class growing up, right? Like it's the same kind of thing. You're doing most of the same things, but it was for you instead of someone else. I would think that grown-up recess would be like. Vacations and stuff.、Nah. Maybe <laughs> that's our difference. <laughs> that's like grown-up vacations. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that you are an artist, a product designer, and you also code. Yes. So how does all that like work and mesh together at Treehouse and even on your side projects? Um, I find that I fell into coding not because one day I sat at my desk and I was like. I feel like learning HTML, CSS.、Um, it sort of happened on accident, and I guess in retrospect, everything fits together. But at that time, I had never written production-level CSS, and this was back when I was at Trulia, and we had a project rolling up, which was our first version of the style guide, and we needed more design designers to sort of pitch in and really help build it out, especially from a visual side. So I started to do that since I had some experience building like static things for myself in the past. And I find that actually made me a better product designer because now I really understood the medium at a different level than I had before, and I was able to communicate better with everyone I was working with. So where does the artist fit in?、Um, as an artist, I found that I needed design and sort of my coding skills to do some of the more business venturey aspects of it. So, for example, I put together a shop this year, and it really helped. Me like find the platform I wanted because I was pretty picky about the platform. I didn't want to ship and print and fulfill myself since I don't really have the space or the、yes. time or energy to do it. Spending, this is something we've spent a lot of time thinking about lately. Like, so, what, yeah, what'd you come up with? Like, how did you solve that? So it all came together when I pretty much exhausted all my options. Like, I don't like any of these either. I have to do it myself. Like, for example, Etsy is a platform that's like really popular, but you really. You have to print and ship everything yourself, which I find to be a huge pain. So I wanted something like Society Six, but I didn't want the marketplace aspect of Society Six since it's super competitive, and if you're relatively new and coming in, it's kind of hard to get any traction. I've actually tried it in the past and failed twice to put anything on, putting stuff on Society Six and not having it sell. It's kind of embarrassing. Generally, no one really knows about it because they don't see these 
sort of past iterations and failures. So when I went to a happy hour at Patreon, I met someone who had his own platform he was just starting. And basically, he was following Society Six's model, but a little more creator-friendly. So there was no marketplace. You weren't competing directly against like computer-generated results. And he took slightly less of a cut. So I found that to be very fair. So in exchange for or testing out his service and being one of the first users on it, um, I have what I wanted. What's the name of the service? It's called a Manufactory. Manufactory, cool. And so how does it work? Um, it's basically similar to the other platforms. So I just upload a print-ready JPEG and I set up the shop. And this is where sort of knowing how to code came in handy because I was able to customize the shop, which a few of the other artists who didn't have those skills didn't know how to do. So just sort of added my brand color and added a little more spacing since I liked how that looked and just hit publish and there it was, my own shop. Cool. Uh, what are the things you sell? Because, well, I looked and but tell listeners what you sell. Yeah. Um, so I have two series that I'm selling right now. One of them is fan art. It's a Ghibli stained glass series. So it's Hayao Miyazaki's work kind of reimagined as stained color, watercolor series. And this other series that's actually surprisingly been more popular, uh, my original series of watercolor trees. So I started doing that as part of the 100-day project from The Great Discontent and El Luna's thing back in April. And from there, I had put up about 30 or so of the best ones up for sale. What was the 100-day project like doing that? Um, actually, that's a really interesting story because I never got to 100. Oh, really? Um, I actually only got to 80. And I guess it's a lesson in everything in moderation or balance because I ended up getting really bad RSI from doing trying to do the 100-day project every day and doing all my work as a coding designer. Wait, what's RSI? Oh, um, repetitive. repetitive stress injury. Oh, okay. It's like carpal tunnel or something like that. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it gets pretty specific and it might be kind of boring. But I actually have sort of carpal tunnel's sibling problem, which is cubital tunnel, which is the other nerve that runs up your arm. And basically, my elbow was taunting the nerve. So it was pretty bad for... A few months. Jerk elbow. I know. I was really upset about my hand for a while. It's like, ah. So you had to stop because of that? Yeah. Um, I had to take a break from that project. And I think at this point, it's pretty safe to say I won't continue getting to 100 because there's other things to do too. And I think that format wasn't working for me personally. Has that led to any interesting like changes in your workflow for painting and things like that? Yeah, I started to... I guess, really care about my tools, especially after that. So I guess for painting, I was really conscious about what I was buying and if it was portable, since making it portable means I can configure it the way I want. So pretty much everything I own is both high quality and portable, which is an interesting intersection to sort of be shopping for, since a lot of the high-end tools tend to be very bulky and mm -hmm. you have to really have a studio space for that. And similarly, from all my tech equipment, it's basically very ugly now people don't make pretty ergonomic equipment that's true ergonomic chairs look awful ergonomic keyboards too are just terrible looking let's go back to uh trulia because you talked about working on their style guide there and like you've worked on style guides over the years a lot as well um so how did that like start and i'm curious like what you learned from building a style guide like what works and what doesn't yeah um so like I said earlier, sort of happened on accident because I guess timing-wise, Trulia had IPO'd at that point. So, you know, there's like the, I guess the normal expected IPO turnover. So at first I was sort of one of the more junior designers working on the style guide. I was learning from a lot of other people. And right around when we we're about to launch it, all the senior designers who knew how to code had left. So I sort of became in charge of it because I had some experience doing it and I was actively learning from the developers who were still on the team. So that's how I ended up sort of getting that experience in both building and sort of maintaining it. Mm -hmm. In terms of what I learned, uh, like designing stuff in a system sounds like a lot of work, but I actually think that's sort of the lazy and smart way to do it. It's sort of like saying, or building a program and then being able to reuse it over and over so you don't have to redo the styles every so time. So it's programmatic? Yeah, it's um, partly, I the way we did it 
back there. We actually, uh, some of the developers writ, wrote their own Ruby gem that generated the style guide right from our code. So it was like marked down in our comments. And it was right where like the production CSS was. So it's not like we were rebuilding the style guide and it's Keep separate it close. thing. Yeah. Love so, it. So you can really see the consequences of your changes because the output of that would be the production CSS we were using. I feel like style guides force you to work on uh, the hardest part about CSS, which is like class naming and coming up with an understandable system and tree for like how you're going to name things. You have to share it. Like that's the whole point of the style guide, right? Is to help multiple people stay on the same like set of guidelines. And that's easily the hardest part of code is sharing with other people. Yeah, forced us to sort of collaborate on GitHub or Stash or whatever the platform is. The platform doesn't really matter. But yeah, that explicitness of having to look at the same thing and sort of be on the same page. And on the topic of naming made me kind of laugh because we had so much trouble naming our light grays. <laughs> Lighter gray. Whitest Slight. gray, <laughs> palest gray, moonlit gray. I like to choose like gray Lighter gray, lighter gray, lighter gray, lightest gray. It makes sense, honestly. That's my favorite. I could follow that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It never ends. I feel like I've been doing style guides since, like, was it 2012? And we still haven't figured out the best way to do this. Well, originally I solved that problem by naming the uses for it. But eventually, if you're, like... You, it changes, right? Yeah. They, they change or you'll add something to it. So it won't be wrong necessarily, but it also won't be fully descriptive. Like there's a lot of like issues there. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. It's interesting because since stuff is still being used in production, instead of being able to remove old variables, you have to sort of deprecate them. So you have a bunch mm-hmm. of sort of chunks of code in your variables file that say deprecated, don't use these anymore. And it's a bunch of the old names and then you got the new names under it and... If no one cleans that out, it's going to get very bloated. And that's actually something we've recently experienced at work at Treehouse recently. So you're working on style guides at Treehouse as well? Yeah, so part as part of the whole team. How is that different Like now that you have uh, a bigger team working on it? Treehouse is obviously like very established. Mm-hmm. Is it 100 people now? Something like that? Yeah, we just hit 100. I think we're over now. I think I saw Ryan's tweet about that. Yeah. And a new office, right? Yep, in Portland at least. Crazy. I'm still at home. <laughs> so actually, it's really nice to work on a team of nine designers who know how to code because I'm actually, I think almost everyone else, if not everyone else, is a better design coder than me because I think they have a lot more experience both in the industry and working in that sort of role. So I'm learning a lot just by looking at their PRs and being able to review them occasionally. And I think we have a few people who have had previous like Ruby on Rails experience, which is what Treehouse is written in. So we see how... If they don't know it, they can just go to Treehouse. <laughs> That's true, and, uh, too. <laughs> and learn how to do Ruby. That's where I learned how to code. Like, it made a huge difference for me. So, Yeah, I actually started streaming some of the Ruby courses because I don't know much of it myself. <laughs> so you dog food the product. Yes, exactly. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I learned HTML and CSS from there because I was a designer and... I was waiting for developers forever just to get to my project. And I was like, no, I need to get this done. So I just built it myself. And like, at first I thought the right way to do it was to like do all the courses and then come back and do it. Mm -hmm. But just doing a little bit and then just building that thing a little bit, building that thing or like choosing them. Like the best part was the, um, the transcriptions. Oh yeah. They were fantastic. I could just search through them, find the thing I wanted and then go build that. Uh, wait, awesome. explain that. They're transcriptions for all their videos. I actually haven't used Treehouse before. Right. Uh, I had like 6,000 mm-hmm. points. That's that awesome. That sounds like a lot of points. It's <laughs> a lot. I My little brother has 14,000. Dang. How many points do you have, Susan? I think I only have like 2,000 still. Oh. <laughs> Time I, to step it up. I know. Um, yeah, I really like that we care about things like having transcriptions and accessibility. We actually have a user who used like a screen reader to go through all our courses so it was really nice being able to get that person's feedback and i hope in the future that we can sort of have a more extensive research plan around that yeah that's pretty cool could you actually talk a little bit about just like some of the process stuff at treehouse i was wrong he is 17,271 dang that's a lot of points pretty pretty balling so i'm curious like (laughs) 
pretty ballin'. <laughs> That's the first time anyone has said that about my little brother. <laughs> so yeah, what's the uh, what's the process like? Because you have nine designers. Yeah, and we're all remote, so I actually haven't met any of them in real life yet. Which whoa, is that I, weird? Well, well, Matt's in Missouri. Where's your other? Um, Chris is closer in Santa Cruz. Okay. Um, and you haven't met? It's like an hour away. I know it just hasn't come up yet. He also is a new father, so that's probably part of it. Okay. Um, let's see. We have someone who just moved to Seattle and most of the people on the East Coast since I'm really conscious of that because I'm one of the only ones on the West Coast. But, uh, Did you grow up here? Uh, in Southern California. Okay. Yeah. I know our midpoint is Nebraska because we kind of joked about having a designer summit. So we took all our zip codes and sort of figured out the midpoint and we're like, oh, maybe we should change our plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not meet in the middle. Um, process. We use GitHub, Envision, Asana, pretty much a bunch of different tools, but sort of the heart of it, we are all in hip chat. So just being able to ping each other directly and not feel like there's any awkwardness or weirdness and asking someone a question is a huge part of that and just sort of feeling like if they're online and don't have a way message that says they're clearly busy, that barrier is like a very low barrier to entry. So we get around the remoteness by being able to talk to each other that way. What about like maybe even at a higher level, like how does how do you guys execute on shipping things and like divide work and collaborate on things? I always found that was pretty tough or like oh yeah, you there's a lot buffer. more friction in doing that remotely. Yeah, um, I guess it helps that our skill sets are kind of all similar to my stack, which is everyone's pretty, I guess, so to say full stack, you know, kind of dislike that term but it's you're, a good you're all unicorns <laughs> just, just a herd of treehouse unicorns exactly <laughs> so that sort of helps um in terms of being able to work sort of on your own and be pretty effective but i guess one really nice thing about working remotely is you have to be pretty explicit about documenting your decisions and communicating so actually i think it makes you a better designer in that way because you're consciously thinking about these things and you're not sort of sort of half-assing certain things because Designers never half-ass things, <laughs> especially not documentation. Do you have any tips for like staying on that? Um, let's see, one thing we're trying recently is from from like an all-team perspective is committing to something every week. So sometimes that commitment is technical, like removing some sort of CSS that's like bad for our code base, and sometimes that's process. So, like for example, my commitment is to write a detailed update in Pivotal Tracker, which is currently where we're tracking all our projects about what, I, what I've done for a particular story and what I'm going to do next and maybe anything I've been blocked on. So you're using Pivotal and Asana. Yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting to be on all those services. You guys yeah. are like every other team. <laughs> it's it's nice to hear that I'm not like the only one who uses like six like task managers. Really? Yeah. I really like certain aspects of a lot of them. Is that not frustrating to have the work and projects distributed like that and not have like a central truth. I only think about one at a time. <laughs> Come on, you know what I mean? Like to not have a one central truth of like, here's the project, here's where all the conversation happens about it, here's all the files about it, things like that. That's not how life is. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about that because I think ideally there would be like one tool to rule them all, but that tool hasn't ever existed. I think Envision's trying to be that. They're Oh, yeah, building like mm -hmm. every single feature that they can come up with it seems like one tool to rule them all <laughs> sorry i'm reading the hobbit <laughs> <laughs> nice better than the movies so okay you have all these tools how does that like actually come together to to get something done you said you'd like you guys document a ton mm -hmm. um is it like pms handing things to designers to design or like are you guys coming up with projects on your own how does that like how do things get built at treehouse Right. It's actually really interesting because around the time I joined, they were flat up to that point and then they switched off from being flat. Like organizationally? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. Ryan wrote a lot about that, I think. Mm hmm. Oh. But I don't remember hearing anything about the transition out of it. Right. Because we're sort of still in it. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. How's that going? Um, It's been interesting. Like, I guess I'm sort of unique in the sense I didn't experience the flat organization so I don't really have anything to compare it to but I definitely feel like some of my teammates sort of feel the pains of switching since there's always a switching cost whenever you do something like that mm -hmm. so I think that's also part of the reason why we're on so many tools is because we're really trying to figure out what's going to work best for us and in terms of how things get done 
So we, now we have PMs because of that switch, and we have design and engineering managers. So it is a bit more plenty on their part. That's part of their official like job description. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't contribute and push back and add things where we feel like it makes sense as the builders. So a lot of the strategy does come from like Ryan and our managers now, and our job is to build it as best as we can in our within like our style guide and our system that's sort of there following all that and keeping things consistent it's crazy how similar that is to buffer like (laughs) we were super flat and then at a certain like tipping point is like all right this isn't working as well as we'd hoped so like we switched like explored all the tools and like tried to like they really yeah i read about yeah they switched they have managers now they've got like more structure i think they're looking i think they're maybe working on getting pms so is it holacracy that was the flat thing right yeah yeah holacracy the way it's spelled. Hola. 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 Chrissy. Uh, well, I can't speak uh, for certainty anymore. But as I was, but like right when I was leaving, it was like kind of switching out of, of the flat structure because it's like really hard to do mm-hmm. as a remote company and like when you hit a certain number of people. I feel like it's highly frustrating in a lot of ways. Just like giving more people the power makes things a lot more difficult to get things done sometimes. Yeah, I think there's definitely benefits to being organized especially as you're growing in size let's talk about burnout yes that was on on your list mm-hmm. it sounded like that came from a maybe a story or an experience you've had yeah definitely the the rsi was part of that physical aspect of burnout but also i think this industry is just sort of geared for burnout you see people with a half-life of like less than one year sometimes two years max at their jobs and even though it sort of looks all great on social media, which is our equivalent of paper, I guess. Um, just there's something underneath that. Like when you read between the lines, there's like this culture of not taking care of yourself. I think I heard that the average tenure for a designer in SF at a single company is less than a year. It's like 10 or 11 months. Yeah, I believe that. that. Kind of, I don't know that I have strong data for that, but that seems well, crazy. Like that's that's so low. This is why I'm interested in like what you guys are saying about transitioning straight from work to side projects and like do you think that contributes contributes to it like is the side project break enough or is a side project just like building on top of this need to always be making need to always be like coding and learning something new and like getting better and better all the time I don't know yeah there's some sort of like shared psychosis we all have shared I feel psychosis. like we don't let ourselves stop and I'm sure like physically especially I was feeling that actually didn't work on new side projects while I was sort of recovering from the worst of my wrist pains. Do you, do you feel like it is enough break for you or is it something that you still enjoy doing as a separate thing? Yeah, I don't want to give up my side projects. So I feel like that's also why I chose to seek out Treehouse and specifically for their work-life balance. It's so mm. I could work a little bit less on work and a little bit more on my side projects. So do you feel like avoiding burnout is more up to the company or like how do you personally approach like not making that same mistake again? Right. Um, Self-discipline is probably a lot of it. I feel like companies do play a a huge role in it. Um, See, one of my friends was interviewing for design positions recently, and she had a choice between two companies. And I told her to ask, like, uh, what is the work-life balance like? You know, it's a pretty normal question to ask someone when you're sort of considering your options. I don't know how to answer that. (laughs) And so (laughs) the response she got is pretty insane. I think it was like I'm quoting it and retelling it, but it pretty much, that person pretty much said, you know, when your work becomes your life, you don't need work-life balance. <laughs> it's all work-life balance. I don't know. I, I feel like doing more work on different things actually like kind of helps me reset because I mean, before I was doing design as a job, design was like the thing I love doing, right? Like it's just something I was doing on the side and I continue to think that's the case. But I mean, working on projects that are just purely for fun helps reset that a lot. Yeah, I experienced something interesting lately, which I really, I still like painting, but I used to sort of love painting. It was like a pure passion thing. I was just creating and creating and creating and feel like I was constantly getting better. But this year when I decided to set up a shop and really start to think about numbers and I have to think about taxes soon about this stuff, I kind of That's don't exhausting. like painting as much anymore because now <laughs> ah. I have to think about is this painting going to go in the gallery? Is this one going to be a print? Like, do I make a series? Does that make it more marketable? Like, these are all things I 
did not think about before when it was purely a side project or a passion project rather. So what do you do? Um, for a while, I actually almost stopped painting because I was so overwhelmed by like the shop and like trying to get shows and you know promoting the shop. So I decided that if I was starting to reach the point where I just feel like I was going to start hating it, I drop all the initiatives there and I just focus on creating more work, like and try not to think about what the result sort of like the outcome of that work is like oh is this one going to go in the gallery or not like i just don't care about that just think about what inspires me and just you know paint it don't think about the rest of it what do you do to relax outside of like creative works um i play a lot of video games and read uh i tend to stay inside a lot but i also like just that's my life too (laughs) i hear (laughs) you what kind of video games you did into um let's see Indie games and mainstream games are both things I like. So I have a Wii U at home. Recently, I was really into Splatoon, but like it's competitive. People get really competitive on that. I was until I went on vacation. Now I'm bad at it because I added all these new weapons <laughs> you and mechanics. Lost your edge. <laughs> I know. I feel like I can never touch the ranked games again because I think I'll lose my rank, which is not that good. But also, like it's an eight minus, so it got pretty high for like someone who was playing casually and got into it. And I've always liked games. I feel like that's one of the things I can sort of trace back to as one of the inspirations for me to even start thinking about coding and design and art and ever wanting to make things in the first place. Yeah, you made a game in college, right? Yeah, we actually made several. So I was part of this club called the Game Creation Society. At really C- on the nose there. I know. It's very, uh, well, it's cre- <laughs> created by like the CS majors. Name. So. <laughs> pretty straightforward you know naming your class the thing it is <laughs> <laughs> was it camel cased uh good thing it wasn't <laughs> yeah so it was like students every semester we would get together pitch a game get some people working on it and we would ship something every semester some things were better than others the one that sort of stuck was this 2d puzzle game called Raincat, which was inspired by uh the incredible machine and lemmings so you control the objects around this cat and the cat would start walking and you just have to keep it dry it was really fun because i think people still visit that mini site i made from like like i made it in like 2008 so you know actually what's really interesting is looking at the google analytics and the most visited like country of origin is like russia so russians really like this game for some reason (laughs) russians are into rainy cats yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh on your website you said that that making that game was what taught you how to like promote something online it's yeah. like what did you learn what did you take away from that um sort of at a fundamental level you can make something and you never talk about it no one will know about it even if it's great so being so able- ship it and they will not come yeah <laughs> so like i think that's very true for digital products because you know if you build something like i guess this is where the reference comes from right people will come because it's there like they're in this neighborhood they're walking by it like even if you don't put up flyers around town like someone will eventually see it but if you're just sort of putting something digital out there like the web is so vast and there's no equivalent equivalent of like walking around the neighborhood you really have to put yourself out there share it get curated get picked in these showcases list it in places of interest and that was actually the first time i made a facebook fan page for anything at all and i was like no one's gonna like this whatever for the game yeah and then lo and behold like i think Occasionally, I get someone still liking that page even now. It's only one or two people a month, but it's sort of like the power of putting it out there. The Just, long tail is huge, yeah. Yeah. How is that like carried through to your current side projects? Like, I also feel like you know you have to share it, you have to tweet it and stuff. But at some point, like, it has to stick. Like, why do you think that that your artwork, like the tree series, took off? And like, obviously, it's good. Um, so that's probably. Uh, a critical factor but like is there more to more than just tweeting it and sharing it yeah i think there's consistency not everything i share gets traction in fact there's this funny phenomenon i've totally talked about this other people make things like sometimes there's that art project you're personally into and you think it's so incredibly in depth it's combining all these things you like and then no one likes it because it's just maybe a little bit too specific then you just paint like i think the trees stuck but in particular because trees are so relatable everyone know what a tree looks like and then it's actually a really open prompt so you know it could be a really literal tree like a green tree and it could be a really like magical tree like ones you see in video games pseudo yes exactly pokemon (laughs) (laughs) um and then you can really like twist that prompt and i guess 
I saw that sticking with the first few pieces I did, and that's actually why I picked it for that 100-day project as my prompt. And actually, another layer to it is my last name is Lin, and in Chinese that means forest. So I guess I'm of the forest people. So it feels like it all came together. Uh, nice. <laughs> uh, what do you think about building a personal brand? Um, I feel like it's definitely done a lot of great things for me. So my avatar online for I guess people who haven't seen it is me in a Totoro hat, which is actually a real hat.、Um, the story behind that was. Is I wanted a hat for winter since I was going to school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm from Southern California, so you know, cold.、Um, and I looked on Etsy, and I looked on eBay, and I didn't find one I liked, so I made my own pattern, and my mom and I sewed it together, and I brought it back to school. So it's actually a real life hat I own. But anyway,、um, I feel like having that personal brand makes it, I guess, easier for me to share things online since that's what my brand is about. It's about sharing a lot of my work and. Uh, Lots of your friends work too. It seems like. Yeah, I really like promoting people.、Um, I feel like when you sort of help each other out, it really benefits everyone. And I guess in the past, I've definitely thought that own、oh, if I promote other people, that means they're going to eat away at my audience and their competition, right?、But、I actually found that the opposite is true. That that train of logic is actually false.、Mm-hmm. And promoting people who you think are good people and do good work actually. Brings everyone up. Rising tide raises all ships, kind of thing. Friend used to give me shit for this, but I used to like tweet cool things I found on Dribble. No, 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 that's not what it was. <laughs> oh, Brian tell likes me to tweet、was. puff pieces. Puff. <laughs> He likes to tweet other people's marketing stuff, and it so, makes me laugh. I used to tweet、uh, cool things I found on Dribble, and I would just like you know CC whoever actually made it,、mm-hmm. and people loved that. Like people would share it and like. The creator would always like follow back and reply back, and you'd have a conversation about it. Growth hacking, right there. Growth hacking, Growth the hacking. Twitter. No, the, the thing I make fun of him most for is like when he posts Fastco stuff, because <laughs> that is it's like a, a magazine made for marketing. I've basically stopped doing that. Thank you. You're welcome. Love you. But I never, I don't know, I never thought of it as like personal brand. Like, I don't know.、Uh, maybe Bryn, you'd have have another opinion on like whether you should build a personal brand online and like. What that even means? I don't. Why not? I just—it's up to you. Like that's such a personal thing. It's one of those like it depends things, right? Like,、mm. which is the worst answer in the world, especially on a podcast. <laughs> but it, but it totally depends. I mean, it works really well for you because you're trying to do a specific thing with it, and for that specific thing, it works better. Yeah, I'm also thinking that, like, I'm pretty introverted, so. Me as a brand wouldn't work because I feel like I wouldn't want to share anything. Actually, pretty embarrassed to share process work because, you know, you share process, a lot of it. Process work is pretty ugly, but because of my personal brand, like my personal brand shares process work, so somehow abstracting that entity out of my head makes it like, oh yeah, I'll just throw this up. It's part、ah, of the, it's like a thing that I would do as this personal brand, but I wouldn't do as myself. It's really strange. So you've like separated your online persona and your offline persona. Yeah, I actually think we're quite different. And it's actually interesting because I think I've gotten to the point where I see the benefits are pretty clear, but I'm also starting to see some of the sort of the double-edged swordiness, the cons.、Like、I actually、what? ended up writing about it recently. What happened?、Um, I think start people start making assumptions that you are your personal brand once you sort of get to a point where they really don't know you as a person because when it's a friend or even a friend of friend, there's some point of point of reference like, oh yeah, this is a human that exists. She's like. Someone's friend, and I know that that someone. But when they're seeing me and meeting me, sort of like meeting this personal brand online, and especially if it's not someone local, they start making assumptions like, "Oh, she must be like rich because she travels a lot, or she must be like X because Y." It just makes really, it's really strange to me because it's like a tweet, and you're making this assumption about my life. I find that there's definitely a value, and like that level of abstraction can be really valuable. I, I'm surprised that it worked so well for you with your personal name. That's something you usually hear people change. They'll make like a one-person company or something like that, and just kind of abstract themselves out from it. Yeah, I, I guess I only picked that username because my normal name is common and it was already taken, so I didn't really have my chance at the SEO for it. Actually, it's funny because、ah, for a long、Google、time、juice. I was competing with a plastic surgeon for Susan Lin, MD. So I was like, I beat that plastic surgeon. Gotta get to the first rank on Google. I think you did. Yeah, I think、you、I have now.、Did. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty recent, though. <laughs> I mean, people really want to be 
plastic surgery. Sweet victory. I wonder if I do. I've never Googled myself. I think they You've call never it. Googled yourself? It's a vanity right. search, as they call yeah, it. Yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> I'm number one, but like, it's me and I'm here. Like, I don't know how to do this correctly. I think Bryn's having like a, a revelation. A Google epiphany. <laughs> Google epiphany. So how did you get into the whole creative thing? Like, where did you start? Yeah. So it was actually going, actually going back to the personal brand and how people make assumptions about me. I think one of the common assumptions I get is that I was nurtured to be creative. I was encouraged. I was doing it all my life, which is partly true because I remember being very young and just being very interested in drawing, doodling. But I grew up in a very like Asian family. They were my parents were like the definition of tiger parents. I was not allowed to do art after a certain point because it would distract me from my classes and my SAT prep, which I literally went for like seven years. It's complete overkill. I don't recommend it. Oh my God. <laughs> Wait, what is the actual definition of tiger parent? Right. Um, so it comes from, I think, this uh, book by an Asian mother. Um, and a tiger parent is basically like a helicopter parent, but... I guess it um, it happens when you're very young and it's just always been like that. They're very strict. They kind of want to design your life, sort of like their dream life, but apply to you because they've sort of grown up and they missed their chance. So my parents were trying to shape me into something I frankly wasn't... A tiger. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so your parents were designers, okay. No, I wish they were. They were actually... Um, well, I guess my dad is an entrepreneur. He was in Chinese... He owns a Chinese restaurant. And their story is actually kind of incredible. They immigrated here in 1985. They lived in the warehouse where they worked. So they were building furniture to get started. They were going to college at night until I was born. And they really wanted me to like go to an Ivy League, be a doctor, which is kind of a problem if you're afraid of the sight of blood, and or be a lawyer, which is also a problem because I'm actually really bad at memorizing things. And I didn't really actually have an interest in law. So for since about like sixth grade, so I guess middle school and high school, there was this dark period in my life where I was actively banned from doing creative stuff. And actually another interesting tidbit about me is I haven't seen a lot of movies and I haven't listened to a lot of music. So I actually have almost no cultural knowledge to the point where someone said that I should go to a university and volunteer myself to be a social study because it's really interesting to meet someone at my age <laughs> who hasn't seen a lot of these it's, references. It's seriously interesting that you have so much of your personal brand built around pop culture <laughs> when that's the case yeah so the internet is amazing because <laughs> my parents did not understand computers so the way i was able to cope with this frankly horrible life um was to sort of hide the fact that i was doing all these things i was interested in like reading and watching anime and manga which was what i ended up getting into back then any favorites yeah like I really love Cowboy Bebop and yes. Samurai Shampoo. The music's amazing, and I'm really still sad about New Jobbies. Um, see, and Ghost in the Shell is a big influence. So Ghost in the Shell is awesome. Yeah, I'm, I really want to be able to like recreate those sort of same things and get the same emotions and make great stories because of things like that. So. I learned how to alt tab and use keyboard shortcuts because I <laughs> have this word, a set of word documents I would pretend to be constantly writing. But in fact, I was playing MMORPGs and watching anime and listening to whatever music I can find online, get my hands on. It's like, wow, she's writing a really in-depth, like one paragraph. <laughs> wow, she's so hardworking, guys. <laughs> you wouldn't have known. So how long did that last for? Um, pretty much all of middle school and high school. And even up until college, um, I actually had to lie about what I studied because I don't think I would have been able to go to school otherwise. Wait, what? Like, tell that story. What happened? Um, basically, I told him I was doing something technical. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing engineering. But in fact, I actually started going to CMU as an art major doing painting. That's Carnegie Mellon. Yes. Um, so that's actually what I was. Like, my first year, I was not doing anything technical. And I was just doing studio art on secretly from them. And I would tell them things like, oh, yeah, like, they don't really give report cards in college, so that's why you haven't seen one yet. Paint engineering. <laughs> I mean, did that make it hard to, like, actually do your work and... Was that stressful? Be yourself? Um, I can't I, imagine. 
it was pretty easy to hide actually since it was out of state and they couldn't drive and physically see me. Um, but I think the stress part was really just feeling guilt about lying to them and just not being able to share my sort of work with them. It's sort of something I still struggle with today because aside from the fact they don't really understand certain things about the internet and how it works, there's still some stigma that I'm not sort of that perfect child they imagined in their heads. So Not a tiger. Nope, still not a tiger. You haven't transmuted into a tiger. I'm something else. Maybe I'm like, what was this? I'm trying to think of a random animal, like a red panda or something really soft and fuzzy. <laughs> a red panda <laughs> is a great example. <laughs> Specifically not a tiger, but it has stripes. So did you know by your first year that like you wanted to do a creative field forever? Or like was that just a point of exploration for you? I think I've always known I want to be creative, which is why... I secretly sort of went through all the effort to hide yeah, what I was doing. Of, that's definitely a lot of effort for... <laughs> Many years for a kid. Yeah. Um, I think distinctly, I remember two things. Uh, one, which was watching my neighbor Totoro, which is sort of the genesis, genesis of why I sort of let my personal brand be the way it is. As being that first thing I really watched, I'm like, I want to do that. Like, I want to make a movie. I want to immerse people in these worlds. And I want to inspire people and give, like children who also have tiger parents hope that they can sort of do that one day and then one of the first things i did when i was starting to hide sort of what i was actually doing online was i played a lot of neopets and one of the first things another I wanted- one <laughs> another one we got gotcha. you <laughs> so many neopets threads. we now have the entire neopets community on our, <laughs> our podcast okay neopets i guess i don't have to repeat it but that's where i learned how to write html css yes <laughs> i wanted to prettyfy things and put javascript snowflakes on my shop ah uh, yes uh, amazing times Actually, one of my high school friends still plays Neopets, and I let him have my Drake, so he still has kept my little pet dragon alive all these years. It's still alive? Yes. Well, technically, they never die. They just kind of starve forever. No, like, Neopets is still up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah, dude. No, people still play. Wait, you don't still play? (laughs) I thought everyone still played. Oh, God, I'm alone. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't play. You always are. So, you mentioned when you came in that you listened to Justin's uh, Justin Edmonds episode on design details mm-hmm. where he explicitly talked about the HCI program at CMU. Yes. And you went through that. Yes. What was your reaction? Um, actually agree with everything he says. There's definitely things that can be improved and I definitely don't think making video sketches is an accurate like portrayal of what real world projects are like. But I also got a lot out of it. I met a bunch of people I don't think I would have met otherwise who are also very passionate about of user experience and usability. And specifically for me, um, up until that point, I had really only worked in projects with people my age. And going to the grad school version of that program allowed me to meet and interact and learn from people who were coming from different parts of life, like people who were married and people who were older than me and people who were coming in from different countries. And that really opened my world up early on, I think fairly early on. So I feel like I was incredibly lucky to go through that what I did. I can totally relate to that feeling of like learning from people that have already done and like made a lot of the mistakes that you're kind of bound to make. Yeah, specifically like the people on my capstone project. Uh, What's really a capstone Im- project? So for part of the MHSI like master's course, your capstone project is this project that you work with like an actual client, so someone representing a company, and you simulate what it's like to go through like a design client project, and you're Mm. on this project for two semesters. So that's about half a year, or actually even more, January to August. So that's eight months. So we had to like present to them and dress up for it and make these reports and prototype. So I guess my critique, which be similar to Justin's, is I wish we spent more time building the prototype instead of making booklets. (laughs) So like... Uh, Man, fuck booklets. <laughs> it's like style guys that don't work. <laughs> like PDFs. <laughs> so if you were to like bundle that up, you mentioned that, that a high schooler re- reached out to you asking like, what do I study? What do I do? Yeah. What's your advice? Um, so I guess... Engineering. Yes, more context on that. A lot of high schoolers who I guess have similar backgrounds to me find my blog and email me because they're sort of at this cross section where they want to please their parents, but they also want to sort of pursue the creative stuff they've always been interested in so i think one thing that really stands out to me is they always feel like 
what I major in and what I decided to put on this college app is final. That's like, I can't change my yeah. life after that. Oh, I totally thought that was the case when I was going to college. I was like, no, I have to choose what I'm doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm really glad I'm not working on cars right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So one, I think one point I make when I reply to them is try to like hint that that's not the case. And I know it's really hard for them to imagine that because if I think about where I was when I was 16 years old, someone told me that I would have been like, you don't know anything. <laughs> about my life i would have just brushed them off so it's kind of interesting giving them advice and i also tell them practical things like yeah you should explore this option and check out these other schools and sort of give them the answer they're wanting to like here so that's like half the email and the other half is really just trying to expand their mind a little bit think about things like oh like meeting other people and taking lsd (laughs) (laughs) wait what it's expanding your mind. No? Nothing? Oh, God. Right. The, the whole Silicon Valley was built on that. So, you know, that's a whole topic on its own. Steve Jobs did it. <laughs> <laughs> Must be cool. <laughs> You've been talking a lot on Twitter lately about shopping small. Oh, yeah. Do you think there's particular value in that? Or is it just like a way of promoting you and your friends? Um, I know there's a whole movement around it. So because of Black Friday, it's very like corporate. Big brands are usually the ones who have the budget to like or send out all these blasts and really discount things aggressively. Mm-hmm. I think Shop Small, I could be wrong, but um, was born out of sort of like a reaction to that to encourage people to shop small on Saturday, like the day after Black Friday, and focus on like your neighborhood shops and places that um, could really use like your support and, you know, give them the same sort of end of the year push so they can sort of remain in business. So I was tweeting a lot that recently since... I have a shop this year and so do many of my friends. So um, we just sort of help each other out and put together our lists and encourage our friends to buy from each other or our stuff in particular. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, do you feel a special connection to it? But yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think one of the things that came out this year that's been really good is just by putting myself out there and saying I have a shop. And in addition to that, saying that I've kind of sucked at having a shop for the first few parts of it is getting people asking me like, how can I get connected with your shop owner and the platform you use or what are your opinions on this thing? And so we're getting advice from people who are more experienced with me as well and just forming this little community around people who are passionate about figuring that stuff out. Was it really hard to first like announce when you had a shop? Like was that like nerve wracking to put it out there? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely like your worst fear, right? When you do this sort of thing, it's like, oh no, no one's going to buy anything. I just spent like a month putting this stuff together what a waste of time which i mean that's the default state is no one's bought your stuff like you from the word go no one's bought your stuff yeah i mean that's the worst case scenario and i think when you're the person putting it together you think it's a really big deal but i know one of the things that definitely helped me is having these circle of friends who so when i get nervous about posting a blog post i've been writing for months or like launching a shop they would tell me like no you should do it launch it I did it. It was fine. It's always easier to sort of tell someone else that, especially if you have that mutual trust thing going on. Uh, One of the recent sort of things that I really like that come out of this community is when my friends started a list of people who, an email list of people who are doing side projects. And every week, the little prompt will get sent out and it just asks, what did you do? What are you going to do next? And just being able to have a space where you can put like, I did this or I didn't do this and this is why. And like hear someone say, good job, keep going. That's like so important. Um, and I think that helps for big and small projects. It's like the small chunks of discipline. I think like, I know for me, I get really daunted by side projects because I start extrapolating out like a year in advance. <laughs> like here's all the stuff we're going to eventually have to build instead of just being like, here's what we need to build today. Yeah. Do you experience that as well? Definitely. I try to keep things small. So, like, I definitely want to make a game at some point again. I think that's actually going to be my goal for next year. But for now, I'm sort of easing back into it by, like, writing down things in in simple note, which is sort of what I use to keep notes. Um, Think about game mechanics. So not even think about the game, just, like, the thing that you're going to do. And that's the core thingy in the game and a bunch of different ideas around that. And then on the coding side, it's just instead of, like, having to, build your own style guy which is like a big daunting project i just do little code pen pieces of art so like css pushing and css pokeballs and you did that walk cycle yeah i recently put together an animated 
pixel walk cycle of a Totoro. And these are things that take like one night. I heard the reaction was interesting. Oh yeah. Um, so sometimes when I post things, there's always someone. Unfortunately, it's always a guy, and they just have to ask questions. And I find it really interesting that they feel so comfortable questioning a stranger's motive on a CSS art piece. So he was saying that, oh, this piece doesn't feel finished. And I was like, no, it's done. End of story. Like, this is an art piece. This isn't, like, a, I guess, fairly unobjective in my mind. Um, but he's questioned that. So it was just interesting to, I guess, get that feedback. How do you deal with internet haters? The song of our people is to block them. That's usually a pretty <laughs> fail-safe way to sort of move on because I think it's not our jobs, especially the people who are targets, to educate everyone and their mom about why this is wrong and why you should fundamentally treat humans like other humans. It's like that someone on the internet is wrong. I must correct them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, actually, yeah. the comic. Yeah. It, it's just not worth it. I think solidarity. Uh, oh. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Solitary? Just, yes. Just Solitary? Sort of like, like having, like be, talking about it openly so it Sol- creates awareness and everyone else. Solidarity. Yes. That's the one. Sometimes I read a lot, but I don't say the words. I actually <laughs> don't know how to say the word and then I embarrass myself sometimes. Yeah, and just, I know that's not, the, I'm not the only one who has this happen to, so it's kind of nice. All to my words s- are backwards. <laughs> oh no you mean the hater comment yeah <laughs> oh yeah so i find it interesting that like you continue to blog and like really put yourself out there like what's that done for you in terms of creating or like getting into the community and like finding work even on a more practical level yeah uh admittedly there's been a few times where i have come close to quitting because sometimes the bad gets bad but a lot of good has come out of it. So one good example of this is when I first moved to this area or the Bay Area. Um, so again, I'm introverted. So like I would go to these meetups and I would literally not talk to anyone and I would leave. And I would really feel kind of silly about it because the whole point of sort of going outside is to try to meet people and especially make those connections early on in your career. So one day I was just doodling in my sketchbook because I guess that's always been a thing I do. I don't pay attention very well unless I'm proactively writing it down and then someone saw it and was like hey that's neat why don't you share that online like okay share it online so that was my first sketch note so I consistently have done that for three years now and instead of having people like instead of having to approach people and like get over the fact that no one's actually going to think I'm weird or dumb or silly for doing that people come to me when I have the sketchbook out and especially like speakers so I found that really cool it's like a little hack I can do to engage with the community and get over the part that I personally struggle with. So some cool things that have come out of that is like getting invited to dinner to, with the speakers and the hosts because I made the sketch note and that was cool. And now I'm actually getting paid to do it for conferences since it tends to be a few hours of fair and post-processing takes time. And like speakers love that stuff and it helps promote the conference as well. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so wait, just for anyone that hasn't seen this, could you just explain what sketch notes are? Oh, yeah, sketch notes are actually exactly what they sound like. They're visual notes, and uh, for me personally, I actually do them real time. So as the person is speaking, I'm recording what they're saying, and I'm trying to pull out like highlights and bigger tags and draw pictures of things that they've provided visuals for, or have really good descriptions of, and I try to do a little like portrait of their heads, so a little bust. And I share it at the end of the talk, so... Anyone who's sort of not able to attend the event or sort of far away from it, they could still follow it online on Twitter or wherever else it's being shared. What's been the favorite talk you've done? Oh, man. Um, let's see. There's got to be one. It can't be that hard. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I like... All of them? I mean, they're all different. But one thing I've done recently, which is just fresh in my mind, is I watercolored the one I did for Creative Mornings, I think, just last week or two weeks ago man i'm really bad at remembering dates but um it's just interesting because it's sort of like a challenge there's a limited amount of time to put everything on the page so having to paint colors on top of it tends to you know add a layer of complexity as much as you're willing to share i'm curious if you have advice for other introverts that want to (laughs) get into this line of work Uh, i certainly identify more as on the introverted side but 
like you were the you, least introverted introvert I've ever <laughs> but you definitely have like experience and like have figured out some of these hacks like what other advice would you give to people that that might feel the same way and just want to like get into this world I think in my head I used to think like oh I have to ask the person out for coffee like now when I see them in person otherwise it's awful or something but actually that isn't the case like I feel a lot more comfortable going to the event saying hi to them sort of like being too shy to ask them for coffee or tea on that spot but like going back online and following them and if they follow back that really like is the point for me to be like oh hey do you want to grab coffee and talk one-on-one so talking one-on-one with someone is more comfortable for me so I get a lot of my good conversations out that way and definitely sharing online has been a big thing for me so it's sort of like being able to push things I want to talk about and sort of have more exposure and pull people in who are also interested in those things that brings the people to me so sort of like the online version of doing the sketch notes it's like use the internet to your advantage to to get over that like initial uneasiness yeah so i guess from a practical level um like when i was freelancing for that one year i actually never had issues finding projects i actually had to turn away a bunch of stuff because i had that sort of reach on the internet that i had built up to that point saying like oh i'm available so you know send me stuff and that's actually how I find all my illustration commissions these days, too. I almost never have to take a commission from, like, a stranger because I have so many friends and friends of friends with a lot stronger, like, rapport and referrals that I feel safer taking in. For no randos. Reasons. Yeah, so that's, like, the best thing ever. It's like not having to use Craigslist. I can use the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> you Friend can network. use your friends list. <laughs> yes, exactly. So what's next for you? Like, what do you, what's the next thing you want to work on or tackle? Um, let's see, definitely that game. I really want to build that next year i've always wanted to get back into it since i actually haven't done that since graduating college any ideas for the game um i know i will it'll be 2d because like i said i'm awful at 3d and z Z axis but i want it to be story based and i want it to be online so that way there's like no barriers to be able to play it since most of the games i made in college are were on windows machines so you actually most of the people i know can't play them because we're all max these days um yeah, I think I just want to keep doing what I'm doing, too. Cranking out work, working at Treehouse. Yeah. Oh, actually, I'm preparing for an art show next year, too, so that'll be the first half of my year. Oh, what's the art show? Um, It's going to be the watercolor trees, and it's going to be at a cafe in Portland. Awesome. When is that? Um, that will be from March to April. Whoa. It's a long time. Yeah, what's so it's a the... two-month show. Yeah, that's crazy. Where can people, like, learn more about that? Um, see... If you follow me online, I will probably send updates about it, but it will be at Behind a Museum Cafe in downtown Portland. And actually, that was another sort of incident where being introverted got me a connection because I was just drawing there the day after XOXO Fest, like, because I wanted to go to a tea shop and it was recommended to me and the cashier noticed I was painting and she was like, hey, we have a gallery in the back and I think your style will fit really well. Do you want to talk to the owner slash curator of the show? So I did, and she actually used to own a tea shop in San Francisco before she moved up there. So we sort of connected all the dots and we made it happen. That's amazing. So speaking of following online, we're about out of time. Anything you want to plug? Um, Let's see, my shop is still up, and if you want to check it out for watercolor prints, that would be amazing. And actually, I offered framed versions as well, and that was a connection that came from having to want like having a bunch of stuff i needed framed and and eventually talking to the owner of the platform collaborating with them so that's at level frames you can get framed versions of my prints and some of the originals i have available and you're at by susan lynn on twitter yes awesome awesome thanks for taking the time yeah thank you thank you for having me that was episode 86 huge thanks to susan for taking time out to come hang out with us if you want to go check out her stuff all of her links are in the show notes you should definitely do it let us know what you thought on Twitter. Hit us up at designdetailsfm or on our Slack team at spec.fm slash Slack. If you need more podcasts to listen to right now, go to spec.fm and check out the Spec Network. Before we go, huge thanks to the two sponsors that made this episode possible. Icon Finder is the largest source of premium icons on the web. Over 700,000 icons in their library that ensures that you're always going to find the perfect icon for whatever project you're working on. If you go to iconfinder.com, check out Icon Finder Pro. Use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS. That'll tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month. Once again, thanks to iconfinder.com. Go check them out and get the perfect icon for your project. 
Our second sponsor, as always, is Dropbox. Dropbox has been with us since almost the very beginning. They let you work the way you want on any file, with any device, from wherever you are, and with anyone you choose. And they'll just manage all the syncing, all the sharing, all that stuff that you just don't really want to think about. And that way you can just start building more interesting things. You can go check them out and get started at dropbox.com. Thank you once again to Dropbox for sponsoring the show. We'll see you on Wednesday with Meg Robichaux.